Bert Cohen here. We are keeping democracy alive. Check for pulse. Stand clear. Push to shock. So yes, there's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. That people don't feel that they can do very much. You know what this is? This is a very Hamiltonian system. Alexander Hamilton being the guy here in a very un-Jeffersonian. In the case of the Republicans, it's dramatically the opposite. Uh, But even in the case of the Democrats. An absolute typhoon of terror against African Americans themselves. America's fascists are those people who think that Wall Street comes first and the American people come second. We're only seen as a financial sector that's uh, gotten out of hand. The shooting, the violence, that is not a drug problem. That is, in fact, the drug policy problem. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. Oh, and he was dignified, President Johnson. He made a few mistakes, but he had some dignity. But in the daily, unpredictable, yet dependably bizarre maelstrom of all things Trump, his impact on our traditional system of justice may well turn out to be his most lasting legacy. Of course, his judicial appointments are virtually out of sight and are therefore out of mind for nearly all Americans, given each day's new shiny object put out there by the orange one. But after today's headlines about Korea, Russia, or his sex scandal, or general boorishness and his remarkable juvenility fade away, The effects of Trump's reshaping the courts will undoubtedly impact the lives of Americans for decades. At election time, a small minority of voters is motivated by the fact that presidents often get to appoint justices to the U.S. Supreme Court and do vote accordingly, but virtually no one considers the scores of lesser court appointees a president makes. And then there are pardons. President Obama used his pardon power Uh, to address grievous injustices. Of the acts of clemency, 1,700 were commutations and about 200 were pardons. Most individuals granted executive clemency by Obama had been convicted on minor drug charges and had received lengthy and sometimes mandatory sentences at the height of the war on drugs. And in terms of judges on federal courts, as our guest today writes, With just over a year in office, Donald Trump has already appointed 21 of America's 167 current circuit judges. Obama only reached that number 21 after 33 months in office. To put it mildly, President Trump is off to a remarkable start as a uniquely active intervener in reshaping our system of justice. Our guest today writes that we may be seeing the beginnings of, quote, a wave of lifetime appointments that threatens to fundamentally tilt the balance of America's courts and embolden conservative activists to bring cases that once seemed lost causes, end of quote. Throughout, though out of the limelight, today we're going to look into what he's done so far, what the general direction is, where Trump is taking us, and its importance in the judicial history of the United States. Our guest today is David Smith. David, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Uh, in his article in The Guardian, David Smith write, writes of how Donald Trump is weaponizing the courts for political ends. Think about that, weaponizing the courts for political ends. 
David Smith has been based in Washington for The Guardian since November 2015, reporting on the White House, Supreme Court, and U.S. presidential election. He attended the Democratic and Republican conventions. That must have been interesting. Numerous Donald Trump campaign rallies around the country. Whoa! And the Trump election night party in New York. He now regularly goes to press conferences with President Trump or Sarah Sanders at the White House. He's appeared as a correspondent or panelist on CNN, MSNBC, NPR, and broadcasters in Australia, Austria, Canada, China, Ireland, and the UK. Wait, there's more. David was previously Africa correspondent based in Johannesburg, covered the overthrow of uh, Muammar Gaddafi, the death of Nelson Mandela, and the murder trial of Oscar Pistorius, as well as elections in the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Kenya, Nigeria, South Africa, and Zimbabwe. He's a graduate of the University of Leeds, David was based in the U.K. for the Daily Express and the Observer and made several trips to Afghanistan and Iraq to port on, a report on the conflicts in those countries. That is quite a uh, curriculum vitae. Thanks again for being with us, David Smith. Weaponizing the courts for political ends. All presidents like to leave their mark on the justice system. Is what this president is doing to the courts all that different and unique? You know, I think that's a good question, and, and certainly one um, Republican friend of mine read this article and said, um, look, actually, it's not very different. Um, going back to Franklin Roosevelt, uh, uh, presidents have naturally always tended to favor judges uh, who are on their side, um, so to speak. Um, however, what is um, breathtaking about uh, what President Trump is doing is just the sheer um, pace of it. Um, uh, it's, it's been moving extremely quickly, and um, he's been helped in that by um, the Republican Senate, which um, has suspended a lot of the usual traditions and practices for the way judges get confirmed, uh, the, the so-called blue slips, um, among other things. And, and really just seem determined to, to drive this through um, very fast. Um, and so, uh, as you say, in a, in a just over a year, we've already had um, 21 of the uh, 167 uh, current circuit court um, judges. Um, uh, Hugh Hewitt, the conservative uh, columnist, hmm. um, right wing, yeah. you know, wrote in the Washington Post just the other day. You know, by by 2019, Trump judges will be participating in more than 15,000 decisions every year. And almost all those decisions will be the law of the land. Wow. There'll be no fewer than 400 crucial case votes and dozens of signed opinions each year, every year for most of the Trump judges. Um, uh, I, I think it's just the, uh, the, the epic scale of this uh, that, is, uh, that sort of marks it out from, from different presidencies. And you know, he certainly moved uh, faster than uh, his predecessor, uh, Barack Obama. Now, it seems like this is a... A really fast pace. This, like, like he intended, or his handlers. I try not to give him personally too much credit, but somebody clearly had in mind that this was a something to do to really uh, hit the ground running hard and appoint a whole bunch of, of of justices. And as we've said, presidential appointments to the court get very little public attention. Well. Just to, to clarify here, you know, let's take a look at the lay of the land. What categories of judges does a president get to appoint? Obviously, the Supreme Court. But 
how many appointments are there possibly, and what what kind of category is it? It's all obviously federal. Yes, that's right. We're we're looking um, uh, the 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 circuit court circuit court judges and the the district uh, court uh, judges here. Um, I would say this is not my full time specialist subject, so I I right. don't know off my head the the, the total um, number, but right. I think. Um, uh, the important point you you touch on there is that uh you know it, it often gets very little right. um publicity um but uh it's really been absolutely crucial for donald trump's election success and and now his presidency i've i've lost count of how many voters um i interviewed uh, before and during and after the election who said uh the Supreme Court vacancy was was critical um, in their thinking. It was a, it was a binary choice. Um, if a Democrat won, they right. would appoint a liberal. If a conservative did, um, then they had seen Donald Trump's uh, list of about 20 potential candidates, and, and that was really decisive for them. So we all have to go back to Antonin Scalia's death and, and Mitch McConnell's decision to block Merrick Garland mm. and... It was quite instructive last week at a, a, a Faith and Freedom Coalition conference that I, I went to a, a group of uh, evangelicals and conservatives and uh, and certainly sort of diehard Republicans. Um, Mitch McConnell boasted about uh, how that Supreme Court decision was the most consequential of his entire career mm. in in the Senate. Okay. Uh, but also what happened was that, uh, uh, you know, he, he he made much of uh, these lower court uh, appointments as well and the uh, the long-term right. implications that we've discussed. So although they're not getting a lot of coverage in the mainstream media, I think certainly among um, conservatives right. and the Trump base, um, it's a constant rallying point. It's, uh, it's a, a constant uh, uh, accomplishment uh, that they see as... Uh, uh, not only vindicating their vote in the 2016 election, but but also um, an important uh, point to make for the 2018 midterms and indeed the, the 2020 um, presidential election. Interesting. So we who are not right-wing uh, get to focus on all these other things, these new shiny objects uh, the president keeps putting out there, while the, the right-wing, I have a hard time calling conservative, they are thrilled. They must be thrilled with all this stuff that we don't even pay attention to. And yet it's making their agenda uh, become a reality across the land. And I have to say, uh, going to all these uh, faith and freedom events and uh, the the Trump election night thing, as the Yardbirds would say, Mr. You're a better man than I. I could never do that. <laughs> I could never do that. What what kind of cases does a federal district court judge hear and rule on to to bring it down to, you know, what average people might understand? Like what kind of cases w- would be heard before a federal district court judge? You know, I I I think this is also important in that um, you know, we are all often focused on the Supreme Court and that that makes the headlines right, and right. did so again this week. But but actually um, you know, the vast majority of cases never even make it to the Supreme Court, and, and actually these circuit courts and district courts are are very important um, for making decisions um, along the way. And now right. some of them, um, I think, would seem um, quite obscure to, to, to many of us and perhaps not going to affect our everyday lives, but others are, are, are critical and um, 
in terms of what we're talking about here, um, I, you know, I think uh, clearly uh, reproductive rights and uh, the battle between pro-life and pro pro-choice is is one to one to watch. Um, and we're already seeing um, uh, in Ohio and other places right. there have been have been challenges in these lower courts trying to trying to, to tighten um, abortion restrictions and cut taxpayer funding to. Planned Parenthood and so on, and, and ominously, one activist I spoke to said, "You know, they will keep trying on this issue mm. in the lower courts, knowing that uh, they, they only need to get one case through right. uh, up to the Supreme Court, and and then it's all to play for in terms of trying to reverse um, Roe uh, versus Wade." Um, but um, yeah, we're we're also talking about. I mean, right now uh, there are. Uh, Appeals going on over the uh, the Trump ban on uh, tra- transgender personnel in the military, looking at uh, housing rights, employment rights, um, and, and 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 more generally, uh, these courts uh, are, are crucial on mm. on issues such as uh, voting rights, and uh, you know heard much about uh, voter suppression and the, the attempt to sort of disenfranchise people, which many would argue disproportionately affects um, low-income people and uh, African-Americans. Oh, yeah. um, they know what they're doing. So, you know, the, those courts are making important decisions on uh, on those sorts of issues as well. And and also, um, you know, uh, the, the power and influence of, um, of trade unions and, and, mm-hmm. and otherwise, um, they, uh, uh, and religious rights, um, really a, a, a whole... Um, range of um, important uh, matters uh, where these conservative judges uh, will have a have a big say um, all it must be said with the qualification that um, some would argue uh, a person who appears to be a conservative judge once they take their seat sometimes right. um, doesn't always uh, fulfill that uh, as much as the the right wing as you put it would would like um, yeah for sure uh, these these are not robots. These are not uh, these are ideological enforcers always. And um, you know we've even seen with with Neil Gorsuch uh, on the Supreme Court. Uh, you know he can sometimes throw in surprises. Uh, but but even so, I think you know liberal activists certainly have cause to worry. Oh, we do have cause to worry for sure. But then again, <laughs> I believe I think it was Reagan who appointed David Souter, who was certainly not uh, right wing. Uh, one of I think, our best justices. So you never know exactly. But the kind of issues that you were just addressing really affect our daily lives. And it's only, you know, way down the road, appeal after appeal after appeal, that it gets to the Supreme Court and it makes, uh, you know, it gets our attention. But it affects people's lives, voting, ability to organize, and so many things that we take for granted. And Trump is hitting on it hard because he knows uh, you know, there's there's the legislature, the executive, but also the judiciary, and that can really affect our lives. I should also add there as well, um, you know, these courts will have quite a lot of sway over environmental regulations. Um, you know, and we know from the top down that oh, right. uh, the Trump administration is skeptical about climate change, yeah. and uh, yeah. the EPA has been rolling back many regulations. And, um, you know, if you... Uh, if you go to the district court uh, in a matter of, you know, like say a big corporation is polluting my lake or um, right. there's, you know, bad air where we live. Um, it, sadly, I think uh, 
those courts are going to be you know somewhat less uh, sympathetic um, based on on uh, who these judges are. Wow. So yeah, the environment is a big big factor here. And you're right. They're, I mean, him adoring Scott Pruitt, who was just a shill for the uh, polluting industry, uh, and and all these courts are going to enable more pollution. It seems. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here on Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest today is David Smith, who writes for The Guardian. The title of his article certainly caught my attention: How Donald Trump is weaponizing the courts for political ends. Now, your piece that we're referred to in The Guardian opens up with a story about one of Trump's judicial appointees, Wendy Vitter. Tell us about that, please. It it may say a lot about the general tenor of the direction Trump is pushing. Wendy Vitter. That's why I put it at the front, yes, and that uh, this, this example just caught my eye. Um, uh, Wendy Vitter is uh, currently the general counsel of the Roman Catholic uh, Archdiocese of uh, New Orleans, and uh, among other things, is uh, sort of fairly notorious as uh, an opponent of uh, abortion rights. Right. And uh, she was, uh, as as many of these, uh, as all these nominees uh, have been, um, uh, going through her Senate uh, confirmation hearing. Um, and she was asked what should be a very softball, um, straightforward question um, that I think in any other era would have been answered instantly um, and taken for granted. Um, it was basically um, whether she endorsed the Supreme Court's uh, decision in 1954 in oh, right. Brown versus Board of oh, Education, yes. which, um, you know, of course, effectively... Uh, ended racial segregation in, in schools, um, mm-hmm. you know, found that to be unlawful. Um, really, um, you know, one of those things people learn earlier, a, a landmark in, in civil rights in the 20th century. And I know I've now been to several museums where it's enshrined as uh, a real pillar of, of, of progress. Uh, yes. Uh, fairly impossible to imagine being reversed, and and yet um, Wendy Vitter's reply on this was, um, you know, I don't mean to be coy, but I think I get into a difficult area when I start commenting on Supreme Court decisions which are correctly decided and which I may disagree with, and uh, so it it wasn't a sort of flat uh, Brown versus Board Education was was wrong, but um, but nor was it an, an endorsement. Um, Certainly left the and door. That in itself is pretty astonishing. Uh, the idea that uh, you wouldn't agree with uh, Brown versus Board of Education—that you might imply that well, perhaps racially segregated schools are not such a bad idea after all. Um, uh, now, to be fair, as, as far as I know, last time I looked, Wendy Vitter had actually not yet been confirmed. And but uh, the, the fact that she was nominated in the first place, yeah. and, and that this is just just one example of. Uh, some rather outlandish things um, is, is, I think, sort of a, a sign of the times. And uh, and, and again, as, as we've seen in more broadly in the Trump era, uh, what was once uh, unthinkable and unsayable is, is suddenly on the table again. And, uh, and that, that goes for, um, you know, some mobilizing to try and overturn Roe versus Wade. And uh, in, uh, that goes to denial of climate change 
and uh, and that goes obviously to the, the president's own um, untruths um, that we've heard from time to time. From time to time. <laughs> 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 right. I don't think he knows the difference between truth. So, what what uh, what was Wendy Vitter's appointment? What is she appointed to? To be a federal judge in which state? I don't remember now. Um, Louisiana. She's oh, going Louisiana. to be uh, a seat on the U.S. District Court uh, mm-hmm. in the Eastern District of Louisiana. Absolutely amazing that 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 even could be you know that anybody could even think about that. The fact that Trump has already made so many judicial appointments, far more than his predecessor, at at the same time leaving many, many State Department appointments empty, not filling them. So his priority is clearly these judicial appointments and not the State Department. It's just it's it's a shell of an organization. What does that indicate about the priorities uh, of those people who are guiding the president on this? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and, and, and one other important point, I think, to make here, by the way, about these uh, judicial nominees is that they are overwhelmingly um, white and male. Yes. And, um, and actually some old, but, but uh, more alarmingly, actually, not all that old, which means that they really will be there for, for ages. But it just means the uh, as we've seen at the White House and State Department and elsewhere, um, a real reversal of the diversification under the Obama era. And so yeah. if you lined up all these judicial nominees in a, um, in a photograph, it would be, it'd be shocking <laughs> how, uh, okay. how white yes. uh, and male they, they were. Um, but, um, but yes, um, I think uh, Trump is taking a huge interest in in this with the help of the the Federalist Society and and others because Uh of the reasons we discussed earlier. It um, plays to his base and shores up his domestic support. A lot of this is about uh, winning the 2020 election in the the era of the permanent campaign and Mm. the president who bizarrely keeps keeps holding campaign rallies. Um, I I, I don't actually think it's because... um, he, in his heart, uh, sincerely believes in many of these conservative um, principles. Does he um, believe anything? Even last week at that conference, the Faith and Freedom Coalition event that I went to, uh, the White House Councillor Kellyanne Conway herself uh, acknowledged that you know this is a man who, for most of his uh, adult life, was actually pro-choice. Right. And now she's describing him as the most pro-life um, president in American history. Uh, I suspect that it has a lot more to do with yeah, political yeah. expediency and building, you know, his right-wing coalition to win the last election than it does with any sort of philosophical, moral, or religious decisions on his part about uh, abortion. Um, so I think uh, that that's why we're seeing this this rush of uh, judicial. Um, nominees it's a it's a quick and easy win it's low-hanging fruit um whereas by contrast you know he doesn't have that much interest in um international diplomacy no. as we know it uh, again he likes to make a big splash and grab headlines with uh, the north korea yeah. summit uh, we've seen this week um tearing up the iran deal and uh, and, and other things but um the actual subtleties of uh, diplomacy have been uh, neglected and yeah. uh, a lack of interest, a lack of enthusiasm, uh, 
I think I feel he might as well save a bit of money on the State Department, and Rex Tillerson certainly didn't help there. Um, so many of those posts have been left unfilled, and you, you mentioned at the outset I'm a former Africa correspondent who's right. based in South Africa. I mean, the, uh, the U.S. Um, still does not have uh, an ambassador to South Africa, even though it's the, the biggest economy on the continent. Um, only this week are we finally going to get an ambassador to South Korea, possibly, despite uh, the centrality of that in the current negotiations. Um, I think he just takes the view that there are not many votes to be won um, in State Department appointments. Um, so let's... Uh, you know, it it really like comes down. Elsewhere. It it comes down to numbers. The, I mean, if he may have been pro-choice before, but the numbers there's a solid thirty-five percent that is you know pretty right-wing, and uh, they don't. I mean, diplomacy. What the heck? He's all about winning. He always talks about winning, 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 and just uh, he, he's motivated by looking like a winner. And I think, quite frankly, that's one way. He won the election was by people who felt like they hadn't won, you know, in a long time. Their their you know their income isn't so great, and there's the prospect of winning. You mentioned the Federalist Society. I, you know, I, I I can't help but I mean, obviously the president doesn't come up with these judicial appointees all by himself. Who is in charge, and is the Federalist Society part of that? And who are they? Who who has the president's ear? on these judicial uh, appointees? Is there some particular group or individuals? I would say two groups principally. Um, you know, one is the Federalist Society, as mentioned, which is uh, uh, a, a kind of gathering of conservatives and, and libertarians. And the important point to remember there is that um, they really, they're really from the Antonin Scalia school of, of judging, and that is that... Uh, that originalist um, interpretation of the Constitution that we, we have to go back to effectively, you know, try and get inside the mind of the founding fathers, that we have to almost literally uh, interpret the Constitution as written and, and not regard it as, uh, as a living document, as, uh, as something that uh, should respond to, to the times in which we live. And and clearly, um, the likes of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and, and others, um, I think, would critique that and, and say, look, the the original uh, document uh, had no provisions for women, had no provisions for African-Americans, right. uh, was, was very much uh, of its time, and it's, uh, it's fairly nonsensical to, to try and be literal about it. But... Even so, uh, and and you know there would be arguments on both sides that I'm uh, that I'm caricaturing there, that I'm simplifying and stereotyping. But um, mm. those are the broad outlines of the debate, I think. Um, so they're having a they're having a huge sway, um, and so is the the Heritage Foundation, which is a, a think tank in Washington that uh, I go to uh, every so often. To uh, like many of the think tanks here, they uh, they host a lot of speakers. Uh, the ones there tend to be again, very conservative, and and, and uh, the, the, you know, there's been Senator John McCain and others, but but uh, most notably um, uh, Newt Gingrich seems to be oh, a, a regular there. Of course, former former House Speaker, a foe of uh, Bill Clinton, and some would say one of the real architects of the times we live in and, and political polarization and. Uh, at least once I've heard him give a talk where he tries to be a sort of Donald Trump um, 
interpreter and seer and mm. uh, savant and, and really trying to explain um, the Trump phenomenon and, and, and make some good points in doing so in terms of, you know, why Trump touched this nerve and, and what his populist um, appeal is. Uh, the other thing at the Heritage Foundation is um, they uh, there, there are pictures of Margaret Thatcher and, and, and I think an entire unit uh, named after Margaret Thatcher, and which I've I've been to, and, and, and obviously uh, I come from the UK myself, right. and uh, she's a deeply polarizing figure there, uh, a, a true uh, heroine of the political right uh, for smashing trade unions right. and, uh, you know, similar to Ronald Reagan, um, right. liberalizing markets, um, uh, but uh, for, for, the, for the left, uh, something of a, of a bete noir, um, <laughs> many would hold responsible for... Um, destroying uh, communities, particularly in the north of England, and, and, and leaving a legacy today of, uh, of hardened uh, economic inequality. Um, so, and I, I think you're right. Um, Trump, uh, I assume, has virtually no uh, expertise or no. knowledge of, uh, of these, uh, these judges. No. And so when we see him produce lists uh, for Supreme Court vacancies, I'm sure they're um, built up by by these kind of think tanks and advisors, and um, for political reasons, I think he probably just uh, sort of rubber stamps them. Slightly off from court appointees, the fact that, as you mentioned, that, that we have no ambassador to South Africa, how, I mean, how is that in the interest of the American economy, American national security? China's in there all over the place, building stuff. It's going to benefit them greatly, but we know what this president said about those particular nations that I wouldn't say on the air, but he said, just amazing. But that, you know, it, it shows through on, on some of his judicial appointments, I think. And again, if you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest is David Smith, who writes for The Guardian, has a very interesting new article, How Donald Trump is Weaponizing the Courts for Political Ends. And speaking of that, Trump has obviously tried to block Muslims from coming to America, which so far... So far, the courts have not allowed. His ban on transgender personnel in the military was also disallowed by the courts. He is, as you say, openly hostile to gay rights. And I would say he's rather clearly a racist, too, or as you would say in your country, a racialist. Uh, For example, are there indications they may be trying to undercut employment and housing protections for LGBT people? Are there indications that the administration may be working to address these political and cultural issues through judicial appointments that may affect us for decades to come? Yeah, I think they're certainly nibbling around the edges. Um, and uh, uh, there was a, a startling um, statistic um, from a, an organization called uh, Lambda Legal Yes, which um, defends the legal rights of the LGBTQ right. community. Uh, I think it was the end of uh, at the end of last year they found um, a third of um, these judicial nominees had records uh, that were were hostile um, to, mm. to gay rights. You know, past pronouncements they've made or or past decisions. Um, we're a few months on now, but uh, they, they think that uh, that figure is likely to be roughly the same. Um, I think it's worth bearing in mind that, uh, as you say, we're, we're sort of trapped in this um, 
instant um, news culture, right. um, social media and uh, cable news, uh, right. Donald Trump's tweets right. are reacting minute by minute, um, whereas uh, a lot of these trends are, are going to be more like the, you know, boiling frog in water and uh, it's going to be hard to notice but it's going to evolve over time and um uh i think that's the danger uh, on something like gay rights that we're going to um mm. you know maybe not have a headline grabbing decision um tomorrow right that, uh, i think mobilizes opposition but uh, uh in, you know in unseen ways and in, in local courts uh, off the uh, off the beaten track, right, right. Um, yeah, you you will see um, decisions that uh, that do undermine uh, employment and, and housing protections. Um, I, I think certainly activist groups at that point will uh, will speak out. Um, I would but, think. Uh, yeah, it's. Um, but we may get there. As, as we've discussed, it's a it's a worrying uh, projection for you know five years, 10 years, um, 20, uh, 20 years from now. And it'll be, it'll be fascinating to see, um, if, uh, if a democratic, uh, candidate wins the, the election in 2020, uh, how much they can do to, to beat that back. Well, that's the thing. It, 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 we may win, but these, this damage will continue for decades afterwards. And it's just so hard to believe. And, you, and we talked about the, the Wendy Vitter situation, who wasn't sure about uh, Brown versus Board of Education. You know, the, the, the so-called conservatives, as you say, are using the courts to bring us back to a time when religious liberty allowed discrimination. I mean, I can remember uh, when there was, you know, open segregation, uh, people fell back. The people who wanted to continue to segregate fell back on, oh, it's my my religious belief. I, I wonder if there are some examples from the past. Might, say, a white evangelical cite his religious beliefs as a way to discriminate against, say, Jews, blacks, Muslims, given this uh, the recent uh, court decisions? Of course, the um, the massive example that we've seen in the past couple of weeks was the um, the cake, the the wedding cake. Yes, exactly. Um, in Colorado, uh, which because uh, that one did go all the way to the Supreme Court, um, and um, the the owner of the cake store argued uh, that uh, because of his religious beliefs and, and right to freedom of expression, he's not obliged to. Uh, Make a wedding cake for a for a right. gay couple, and uh, they challenged that and, and and won the decision at the local level. Um, but uh, eventually, you know, lost at the Supreme Court. Although it was noticeable, the Supreme Court said um, right. they were just applying the ruling to the specifics of that case, and that we shouldn't necessarily. Uh, and it seems like take the lower a, a broader yeah. a broader precedent um, from that. Um, the lower court kind of messed up. Um, you know, if you extrapolate from that uh, that situation uh, to right. to others, um, yes, uh, you know, religious uh, freedom is sometimes going to be used um, as a as a smokescreen, as a as a as an excuse uh, to to discriminate. And and clearly, um, many of these judicial nominees are, you know appear to be. Uh, Sympathetic um, to that uh, to that argument. Um, yeah, it, uh, really. Uh, the debates over you know, reproductive rights. Oh, um, definitely. Clearly, there's often a, a religious um, impulse there. Um, 
about the the sanctity of of life, as uh, some some Christians uh, argue. Um, there was that and, whole and, and the Hobby Lobby case. Me as, uh, one of the real difficulties in terms of uh, ending polarization and in mm-hmm. terms of you know finding finding agreement that uh, you know. Um, uh, Religion is is very polarizing. You'll have uh, diehards and agnostics and, and atheists, mm-hmm. and it's uh, pretty hard to find common ground between them. That is for sure, for sure. And there was the whole Hobby Lobby case. And talk about abortion. I mean, there have been all kinds of tests since Roe v. Wade back in, what, 72. Uh, and the law of the land still stands because of the uh, basic right of privacy is what it is. Uh, but a federal appeals court recently blocked an Ohio law that would cut taxpayer funding to uh, 28 Planned Parenthood clinics, uh, holding the court held that the conditions it imposed that denied funds to abortion, abortion providers were unconstitutional. That was you know, a pro-choice decision, basically. Uh, but it is Roe v. Wade is what is referred to in the legal community as settled law, settled law. Bringing a case to the Supreme Court that could actually test that landmark ruling would take a massive effort, a big effort, because it has been settled law for so long. Do you get the sense that through the lower court judicial appointees that Trump is making that they've begun the process of bringing such a test case up the ladder to the Supreme Court? Have they started the process to bring in, uh, you know, because Ruth Bader Ginsburg isn't going to be there in 20 years, you know? I mean, she's just not. So uh, have they already started the process of, of uh, trying to uh, reverse Roe versus Wade, do you think? You know, I'm not aware of uh, a specific case, but what, what I am aware of, um, uh, at the same time I was writing um, my article, uh, a colleague of mine was uh, looking at um, abortion um, specifically and, and noticed that um, of uh, you know, 77 people the Trump administration has nominated or confirmed for federal judgeships. Um, Eleven of the judges and eight nominees have uh, anti-abortion records. Um, wow. And of, uh, of a total of 39 judges and 38 nominees, just uh, just 18 are women. Um, and by the way, w- Wendy Vitter, who we were discussing mm-hmm. earlier, of course, is, uh, is one of those uh, anti-abortion uh, mm-hmm. nominees. Um, uh, the, the activists say, "Look, um, you, you'll get legislation written by uh, campaigners at a state level who are who are anti-abortion, and then uh, it gets passed by the state legislatures, um, and then you know heard in in front of um, judges, um, and that's that's where you know they they hope to just sort of." Get one through that uh, that can go up to, to the Supreme Court. Um, They'll work on it. Um, but uh, as you say, I think it's also going to be it's also going to be tough. Um, the, yeah. you know, the the law is established, and, and again, I I don't see it as as happening very imminently. Um, but it's one of those that you suspect. Uh, let's say Trump won again, or let's say that uh, mm. it's not. you know uh, Republicans held sway for eight or even 12 years, then uh, you, you could really see that, uh, that fundamental transformation because, uh, oh, yeah. let's face it, we know um, a Trump side is Mike Pence, 
who, if anything, is yeah. um, even more uh, zealous uh, oh, yes. on this subject. And as, as you also sort of touch on, um, you know, the balance of the Supreme Court um, could uh, could shift, um, especially if uh, Judge Justice Kennedy uh, decides to right. retire, which is uh, which is rumored. Certainly is rumored, and uh, if if anybody uh, who's listening hasn't seen the movie RBG, I highly recommend it. Very, very well done, and an amazing person, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Now, Merrick Garland, that was very unusual what happened to him. He was Obama's appointment to the Supreme Court. I don't think particularly liberal, but he was denied it. I mean, uh, many people see what happened there as a, as a shameful tragi- travesty. How does Neil Gorsuch play into the pattern here? And, you know, it, it was just, I'd never, I mean, maybe there have been uh, situations like that where a presidential appointment to the Supreme Court didn't even get a hearing. I don't know. How does Neil Gorsuch play into the pattern that we're talking about? First of all, can I say I, I agree uh, the film... Um RBG is uh, is terrific, yeah, and really um, is. and and yeah, so highly highly recommend it. And uh, she 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 is quite a phenomenon in many ways. Um, really a great American. Yeah. And I I covered some of the uh, Merrick Garland and Neil Gorsuch um, saga, including Gorsuch's uh, hearings. Um, that I think is, I guess, the the ultimate symbol, the uh, the ultimate personification. Of these um, these trends uh, we're we're talking about, um, as I mentioned, um, Mitch McConnell, the Republican Senate Majority Leader, likes to say this is the most consequential move he ever made in that in that position. Um, hmm. uh, I'm I'm slightly haunted as well by the awareness that uh, just the randomness of um Antonin Scalia's death uh which you know was completely unexpected came out of the blue and you know he was of course despite ideological differences was a close friend of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, but the, the suddenness of that death really may have changed the course of history in terms of uh hmm. that that supreme court vacancy was so crucial in um in rallying um conservatives and republicans to Trump's uh, side you know people who May otherwise have been very reluctant to, to support him, but uh, really, uh, you know, uh, thought it as so important to, to get a conservative on the court, and, and McConnell knew that. Um, yeah, and and uh, you know, Trump did not uh, disappoint. Um, I think um, because he probably has very little personal knowledge or interest himself, he was happy to take the. Uh, Conservative recommendation of uh, of Neil Gorsuch, and um, and that has really uh, thrilled uh, the the base. And yes. you know, when you go to a a Trump uh, rally or a conference, and 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 he mentions that appointment, uh, you know, it, it gets a big uh, cheer. Um, That's what he goes I think for. Gorsuch himself um, is actually uh, not uh, a, a sort of Trumpian figure. Oh. Um, you know, he's not sort of uh, out of bounds um, and making outrageous statements or um, denying climate change or standing on a rooftop saying Roe versus Wade should be should be scrapped um, tomorrow. And, and he's already indeed made made one or two decisions that uh, would actually disappoint uh, mm. Trump um, diehards. Um, but even so, um, he's certainly a very conservative figure yeah. and. Uh, 
and yeah, he's really a great um, recruiting tool for um, conservatives uh, to say, look, um, you know, we dislike um, Trump's uh, tweets and his behavior and all the other norms that he busts, but, you know, he really delivered there, and, and Neil Gorsuch is a great thing, and mm. so are all these other court appointments, and and therefore, um, you know, we see Trump with, uh, I think, 87% approval within the Republican Party, and, uh, the, you know, the, the, the second highest own party approval of any president since the Second World War, um, after only George W. Bush uh, in the aftermath of, of 9-11. Um, right. Wow. Um, and you know, concerns that were raised about uh, Gorsuch, uh, I think there was you know one case where he was seen as uh, as heartless when a uh, when a truck driver oh, right. um, stopped in the in the cold and was seen as uh, I think he was fired. Yes. And the truck driver complained that he was he was freezing. Um, all that was was sort of brushed aside um, uh, fairly uh, fairly fairly rapidly. Um, you know, he was a uh, Relatively uh, uncontroversial um, appointment, even for even for centrists. But um, that judgment, uh, on, yeah, on the, the truck driver, you know, tipping the balance of the course and making a, a big difference from what would have happened if uh, if Merrick uh, Garland was there. I don't think Merrick Garland would have decided the same way on that truck driver, who probably would have died had he stayed in the truck. Mm, but yeah. but. Uh, uh, this uh, Neil Gorsuch uh, sided with the trucking company, which is rather amazing. But you're right. I mean, people do change through the years now that he's on there for a long time. I, you know, it seems like nothing Trump does or says bothers his base at all. You know, the, the evangelicals, sometimes I wonder, how can they still stick with this guy who has had all these sex scandals and lies uh, and is just amazingly corrupt? And I think that stuff is yet to come out. It, you know, the... Uh, you know, traditional corruption about, you know, pay to play, things like that. I, I, you, you, you write that, uh, you know, this is a way of, of distracting, perhaps. You write that uh, we had hoped that these uh, arguments were consigned to the dustbin of history, that they're being dusted off and used again in the hope of turning back the clock on the way we treat all Americans. Does this I'm guessing this, you know, he wants to win. Everything is all about him, everything. And that this uh, uh, reviving the things that we had hoped were in the dustbin of history uh, uh, could help his base uh, overlook the sex scandals and corruption and bizarre tweets. Yeah, and I think, you know, worth remembering that um, a lot of his supporters are um, are, are older. Um, hmm. And uh, you know, many of them sort of uh, old, old, older white men, and uh, then nostalgic. I don't know. There've been surveys that often find that uh, they wish America was more like the 1950s. Yeah. So uh, with these judicial appointments, if he can uh, paint a picture of uh, taking America back to that time, um, making America great on, again, um, right. reproductive rights, uh, or on uh, treatment of gay and lesbian people, um, uh, and chillingly, even that, uh, that example we quoted with, uh, with, uh, Brown versus border of education, mm. um, and, and obviously on, on immigration laws, which is an important part of all this, uh, ah, true. that rule that will really, um, play, play well with the base and, and, yeah, and those people who, uh, you know, if you ask them in their mind to uh, imagine a, a judge, um, probably see a, 
uh, a, a white man with, uh, with with gray hair and, and feel that that is a, a, a figure of authority. Um, mm. Trump is certainly a master of uh, distraction and, and deflection and uh, um, throwing throwing things out there. Uh, so we all sort of run after shiny objects. Yep. Yep. Um, when I, whenever I question uh, Christian evangelicals and, and others on the right, uh, mm. you know, sort of, how can you tolerate this man? How can uh-huh. you put up with the the bad behaviour? Um, the answer is often, well, look for a start. Um, no one is perfect, and and God often uses um, flawed individuals. Um, you're not perfect. I'm not perfect, and and, and nor is the president. Um, They'll say, you know, we've learned to look past his personal behavior and instead mm-hmm. judge him by results, and, and he is right. delivering for them and yeah, on their uh, agenda. Um, but what they, what they don't say as much, but I, I think is, is also crucial here, is that uh, look at the alternative from their point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Charlie Sykes, the conservative commentator and others, have, uh, I think, written very well about the, the sentiment of uh, anti-anti-Trump. Um, even if you don't uh, wholeheartedly believe in him and his policies, um, he does sock it to the other side as yep. they see it. Uh, you know, he, uh, he, he bullies and attacks uh, liberals and Democrats and Obama and Clinton and, and now, of course, even Canada and so on. So if, uh, if, you, if, if you feel ill-disposed to those, if you feel that you've been slighted as one of the deplorables, if you feel... Uh, resentful toward uh, Hollywood liberals, then, then Trump is seen as, I think, your, your champion, uh, you know, standing up for those excluded. Uh, there's, a, there's a real sort of culture of, uh, of grievance, um, and uh, yeah. we've seen that culture of grievance among the, uh, the white uh, working class, or perhaps more accurately, the white, white lower middle class in those mm-hmm. Rust Belt areas who, uh, who felt uh, sort of downward uh, draft that their children not going to be as, as well off as, as they were. But that, that culture of grievance, crucially on this judicial issue, also applies to um, Christians uh, who feel um, they're, they've been pushed to the margins of mainstream culture that, uh, that uh, a lot of the TV news, but also Hollywood and uh, other aspects of culture is, is too secular, uh, that uh, that they are held up to too much mockery, and I think I think Trump has uh, has has keyed into that mm. again. That uh, anti anti Trump sentiment, uh, not so much who are you for, but who are you against? And if you uh, if you really uh, loathe uh, Obama and Clinton and the others, right. then uh, then Trump is your man. Well, it, it, that I haven't spoken with a lot of evangelicals like you have. I haven't had that opportunity. That's very interesting research. That must have been. Very interesting to do. You write that uh, that John Malcolm, vice president of the Institute for Constitutional Government at the Heritage Foundation, says, and that's such a nice title, constitutional government, uh, in the same way that liberals have pushed more progressive causes when they felt the judiciary was favorable, I'm quite sure that when there are more conservatives on the bench, that will prompt conservative groups to file more lawsuits. Talk about, you know, getting things out of the dustbin. What kinds of lawsuits do you think? What, what will be the subjects and issues that, uh, you know, more uh, right-wing judges will be there that, that will prompt them to, uh, to file these lawsuits? 
Yeah, and and indeed. Um, and what, what kind of lawsuits will there be? With this article, um, my main angle was really to to look at uh, whether we're seeing um, lawsuits like that uh, brought already, or or whether we're going to. And uh, the general sense from people I spoke to was that it's still early days. Um, that, that that this is indeed a a very long, gradual process, and again, the the opposite of our appetite for for instant gratification in the right. the twenty four hour news um, cycle. Um, that uh, you know, we're, we're not seeing many of those cases yet. Um, but as more and more of these uh, judges get appointed, it's it's quite likely um, that we will. Um, and I think, um, uh, as we've been talking about. Uh, you clearly, uh, reproductive rights oh, yeah. is uh, is is an obvious one where uh, just getting back uh, groups will feel emboldened to to test the limits and uh, and go to court and um, you know in the past um, in the Obama era or or other times there was a, there was a great danger in doing that because uh, not only mm-hmm. are you spending a lot of time and and resources but if the decision goes against you, then then actually you might have uh, gone into reverse. Uh, right. You might actually be in a worse place than you started. Um, you know, a, a legal up. precedent has been set, and that decision is in law. Now, uh, I think they're more likely to, to chance their arm and um, and, and go for it. Yeah. Uh, and I think um, some of the issues we've been talking about, um, again, um, uh, gay and lesbian rights and... Sure. Uh, some of those issues we've seen in recent years, such as um, you know, can transgender people uh, mm. use use bathrooms in uh, uh, of their choice in in restaurants and uh, mm. in schools and in in other places? I would expect uh, those to be among uh, the, the first ones um, under attack. Um, sure. And then you know, environmental regulations, uh, trade union rights. Um, uh, voter, you know, voter registration. Um, I uh, I would suspect there are you know, right wing activist groups um, working on these um, already, and, sure. and you know, looking to looking to choose their moment and uh, feel that this is really a really his, a historic opportunity. That uh, you know, well, I'm sure probably thought their their time was passed, and uh, all for the sake. Let's remember of of seventy seven thousand votes in three states. In, in 2016, um, suddenly uh, opportunity knocks again. <laughs> it does. And uh, the dynamics are, are interesting. You know, we on the left, what I would call the old center, have been fighting for, you know, environmental protection, for uh, reproductive rights and all these things for many, many years. And probably we're kind of tired of doing that. I mean, long, hard-fought battles over the years. Whereas the other side is getting fired up now, so that may be an interesting uh, dynamic as well. And as, as your article points out, Douglas Keith uh, uh, from the uh, uh, Fair Courts arm of the Brennan Center for Justice said, "It's a long game. It's not always the one big case. It may be smaller cases at the district and circuit courts." End of quote. Have the Democrats not played the same long game? Is the right doing something actually different, or are they just is it their turn? Yeah, and, and he, he makes that interesting point that there is an asymmetry here that uh, for some reason grassroots conservatives have traditionally been much better organized and more enthused and more 
fired up um, over over this kind of thing, and uh, maybe that parallels moments when we've seen uh, Republicans more organized at sort of turning out for midterm elections, and it's a uh, it's a mystery and 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 one that uh, needs to be needs to be cracked. Um, just for some reason, the, the courts in particular have have been more of a of a right wing um, cause. Um, uh-huh. So uh, this is really a moment for yes. activist groups on the left to uh, be energized and, and fired up, and and you'd have thought um, they have a, a wind at their back in the sense that um, we've obviously seen a, a tremendous um, pushback opposition to the the Trump presidency from mm. that uh, from that first uh, day after it uh, when. Uh, uh, we had the women's march in, in oh, Washington and other cities and around the world, and uh, which you know sort of broke records and uh, other tremendous uh, protests and uh, uh, yeah, so, it so is, much being, if being we said can... and done to uh, to resist um, Trump uh, and uh, high turnout in the uh, Alabama uh, oh, yeah. election last year for well, the, for the Senate so. to, to defeat uh, Roy Moore. Oh, I know. Uh, other swings to Democrats elsewhere. So um, one would just have to hope that uh, at least some of that energy is being channeled into the to the big picture of the courts, which um, which again is not necessarily always the most sexy subject. Or right, the, that's part of the problem. The most uh, most not e- visible. Easy one to to, to rally around. Um, you know, it doesn't have the drama right. of what we're seeing at the the border right now, with with children being ripped from their oh. parents' arms. Talk um, about injustice. It doesn't have. Uh, and that's the kind of thing. Thrill of uh, you know going to protest against uh, Trump in in person, but but clearly. Uh, Really, very important, and and obviously some people on the left who do get it, and yeah. will be trying to uh, will be trying to mobilize. Definitely, so lots of targets, and you talk about injustice, and you know mass incarceration is a big problem. I don't think it's going to get any better under Trump. I mean, way too many Americans, especially of color, and who are not wealthy, are just stuffing our jails, and pr- it's just it's going to get worse fascinating stuff. There's a lot more we could talk about. We've reached the end of the period. Uh, If people are interested in reading more of your articles, which I certainly am, David Smith writes for The Guardian, which you can look at online. Well, thank you so much for being with us, David Smith. Thank you. Thanks very much. All right. Thanks. I'm living undercover in Turlock, California. Hiding from the boys in blue Just got caught with 14 tons of pot Nailed by an arc Talking to my lawyer in the jailhouse boy Convinced me of my darkest view He said that judge had got a reaper grudge Found a key for 20 years Goodbye, your honor I guess it's